in the second Peter chapter one this morning. Uh, but before we get in there, you can go ahead and start turning there if you'd like. <clears throat> um, we do have some Bibles on the table over here, um, as you over by the coffee if you need one. There's also a Wi-Fi network. I don't know if you guys saw that, so you can always download a Bible on your phone too if you didn't know about that. Um, but before we get dig into Second Peter chapter one, I just I feel compelled to to talk to you just for a couple minutes about the act of preaching um, and, and the role of the preacher and the listener. Um, so I, I guess I should introduce myself. If you don't know me, it's your first time here. My name is Joe. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, um, along with Mark and uh, Andrew. Um, if you, have, you guys haven't heard, uh, Tanya and Andrew uh, gave birth to, or Tanya gave birth, but Andrew was there. They gave birth to uh, a baby boy this week. Um, his name is Thaddeus Andrew Pack, and he was big. He was like nine pounds something. Um, but but they're doing. But he's doing well. Tanya's doing well. Um, and so we're this overjoyed with, with them, and it's been awesome over this last few months as we've just seen like baby after baby after baby being born. It's, it's really cool. Um, but I'm not the normal guy who stands up here and preaches every Sunday, um, and so I thought I would talk to you a little bit about what that is. Um, because I stand up here before you guys, and I have a lump in my throat, and my knees are shaking, and it's because I'm, I'm up here to do something that seems completely out of my power to do. I'm up here to open God's word and say, here's what God is saying to us as his people. Um, and that's a huge deal. And so when somebody comes up here and does that, um, as someone sitting there and, and listening, um, it's something that we should be aware of and something that we should be, be, be considering and, and laboring together with the person who is preaching praying for them. So I would invite you to be praying for me as I preach because I'm, I get really nervous when I'm in front of people, um, much more so when I'm saying, here's what God says uh, to you. Um, but you are, in addition to praying for the person who's up here preaching, I think you probably have the more difficult job because you're sitting down maybe for the first time, sitting still in a long while. Um, your mind is probably going like crazy. If you're like me, you've had you know, three or four cups of coffee by now and you're a little bit shaky and jittery. Um, I'm going to say really dry things, and you're going to go, is that a joke? Should I laugh, or should I just not and keep my mouth shut um, and not make him feel awkward? Um, go ahead and laugh if you want to. Um, I do say dry things, and I don't know if they're always funny, but I think they are. Um, <clears throat> I'll try to keep those to a minimum. Um, but, I, but I think you have a harder job than I do, because I've been studying this scripture. I've been preparing for this. I was ready for the last four weeks, because Tanya had... Asa, like, three weeks early, so I've been, like, each Saturday, I've been, like, waiting for that 2 a.m. phone call and not getting it. So I've been, God's been working on me through this, through this scripture, but this is the first time maybe this week that you're hearing about it. Um, and so I would just invite you, as, 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 I, as I open the Bible, as we open the Bible together, um, to listen to what God would have to say to you, to listen to what God would have to say to us as his people, as this community um, that we call Anchor Church, but, you know, it's, it's all of us, um, so, so as we get started, I just would invite you to pray with me. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, that, that you are the one who's made us sufficient for these things. Lord, we thank you that it's by your grace, by your love, by your mercy, um, that we can even come to you, that you are the one who has drawn us to you, Jesus. Lord, that we were rebels, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and sin but you are good you were rich in mercy and you saved us and you are saving us now. And so I just ask, Lord, um, as, as, I, 
as I proclaim your word to this church, that, that you would just speak through me, Lord, anything that is not helpful, anything that detracts from what you have to say to this church, you would just take that away. And, and for, for those who are listening, Lord, I just pray that you would fill them with your spirit to hear what you have to say to them. That they wouldn't be distracted by me or anything else, but they would hear what you have to say in your holy word. And so we just, we just submit ourselves to you, Lord, today that you would speak to us because we know that you are God. We know that you are good. We know that you love us. And so we, we come expectant and joyful and hopeful because we know you will speak to us. We know that you will move. And we know that you will save many in this city. And we pray for that, Lord. And so we just we love you. We thank you that you loved us first and came and got us. I ask all these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I will start the timer if I can figure out how to do that. There it goes. Okay, Second Peter chapter 1. Um, we do have... I think scripture's up on the slide. I'll try to not go too fast and make you miss Isaiah. My boy Isaiah runs the slides. Thankful for him. Verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, So right out of the gate... This is an introduction. Here's the guy who's writing. Here's the people who are being written to. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, I won't go into Peter's bio a ton, but this is, this is the guy who was one of Jesus' inner circle of, of disciples. He was one of the 12. He was one of the, the three that, that were, were leaders within that 12 that, that, got, that Jesus um, you know, spent you know, more time with. He, he was the one who went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Um, Peter is also the one who denied Jesus three times the night that Jesus was betrayed. Um, so when he says a servant and apostle, um, if you have, I think if you're in the ESV, there's a little superscript to on servant and it says or slave. Um, I think it's important for understanding what Peter is saying about himself. Um, this is a guy who recognizes his unworthiness. He was the one who turned his back on Jesus. Even after Jesus said, you, know, you will. His, Peter said, I'll, I'll, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, no, you'll deny me. Um, and he said, no, 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 I won't. And he did. Um, but, but the good news is, is that Jesus didn't reject him. Jesus actually, the resurrected Jesus, goes to Peter and comes to him and, and invites him, reminds him of his love and the love, the relationship that they have, um, and, and restores him and says, now feed my, my sheep. And so, so Peter, as one of those 12, as one of the apostles of Jesus, is coming in humility as he writes this letter. And who's he writing to? He's writing to those who have obtained a faith. Um, and today what we're going to look at is what is faith. Uh, we're going to look at four things. We're going to look at the source or foundation of our faith. We're going to look at the promise of our faith. We're going to look at the fruit of our faith. And then we're going to look at the results of our faith um, I just made those four things up from reading this. Um, I don't know that that's the only thing you can get out of this, but maybe that helps give you a roadmap of where we're going. Um, <clears throat> so, so he says, to those who have obtained a faith. Um, that's the faith that we're going to talk about today. But listen to what he says about that faith. A faith of equal standing with ours. 
So Peter, by this time, Peter's an old man writing this letter. Peter has been a leader in the early church, in the first century church in Jerusalem. He, has, he preached a sermon at Pentecost when 3,000 people repented. I mean, he just said, like, you guys killed Jesus, and people repented and, and turned and, and were baptized. And, and he, he was a part of that, and, and he was leading the church through this. So at this point in his life, as he's writing this, this letter, he is a very um, respected figure within the church. Um, and yet he says that the faith of his audience, their faith and our faith, as this letter is written to us as well, is of equal standing as his, of equal standing as, as this guy who walked with Jesus, of this guy who was on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when he saw the glory of God um, descend on Jesus. So I think that's a reminder to us that as, as, as God's people, there are no levels within his body. There aren't those who are above and those who are below. We are all together at the foot of the cross of Jesus. We are all together recipients of God's mercy and grace and righteousness in Jesus. Whether it's me standing up here opening the Bible or Andrew or or one of the other preachers in the church, we're all on the same level. I know I'm kind of lifted up off the floor here and I feel weird about that, but we are all on the same level um, in Christ. There aren't any superstars in the church, and there's nobody that's disposable or unneeded. We need each other. God has put us together in this body to love and build each other up in love. That's what we're here for. That's the purpose of the church, to build each other up in love and in the knowledge of Jesus so that the world would see the truth about who God is. And how have we obtained this faith? He says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this is something that, that, that is a, there's a theological term that we talk about here called justification. You may have heard that before. Um, and and one, of the, one of the concepts in this term of justification, which is really just another way of saying made right with God, um, is, is this idea of imputed righteousness. I don't use the word impute almost ever. Um, so if you don't know what that is, that's totally cool. And since there's Wi-Fi or whatever, you could probably Google up what impute means. But impute, I'll just give you the definition. It means to enter into the account. And what it really means is like if I give you, uh, here's Isaiah. If I give Isaiah a million dollars, I don't have a million, sorry. But, um, but if I gave Isaiah money and put it in his bank account, it is now his. I have no claim to it. It's, it's now his. It doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to him. Um, and, and what, what, when we talk about imputed righteousness, we talk about that the righteousness of Jesus um, is, is given to us. Is, it is now credited to our account. And so when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's who we are in Jesus. Um, it's not just about the forgiveness of our sins, which it is, and praise God that it is, because you and I know we need to be forgiven of our sins. But it's also about this possession of righteousness, that this, this possession of Jesus himself, that we have him. And, that, and so this, this idea that we have our faith by the righteousness of Jesus is the foundation of, of this whole passage, and it's actually the foundation of the whole Christian life. Um, apart from that, if, if, if we don't understand that our, our, that our righteousness is only by the grace of Jesus and, and faith in him, um, we really can't call ourselves Christian. Um, so it is the foundation for our whole life. And it's the foundation of our whole life together as God's people. And I'm, I'm going to probably say that a few times as we, as we go th- work through this passage, that it's about us together 
and what God is doing in us and through us together as his people. Okay. So that's the foundation of our faith. Um, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. I hope that doesn't come as a surprise. If you've hung out with Anchor at all, I hope that doesn't come as a surprise, but just a reminder. So the foundation of our faith, what about the promise of our faith? We can see that in verse 2 through 4. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter is praying here, um, but it's not a... It's not an empty hoping kind of thing. It's not like a wish, like, oh, I, I, I wish that this would happen. It's a certainty. Because we have righteousness in Jesus, because we have Jesus, the multiplication of grace and peace is the way our lives are to be lived, that, 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 that we do continue to receive more and more and more grace and peace as we grow in the knowledge of Jesus and that's how it's multiplied. It's in the knowledge of, Jesus, of God and of Jesus our Lord. And that's, that's something that, that I think can, we, can, we can misunderstand sometimes because it's not just about knowing things about God, but it's the knowledge of him. And how do we know, how do we, how do we grow in the knowledge of God's grace? By recognizing that we need it. By seeing how unworthy we are and confessing our sin. There is freedom in confession and true repentance from our sin to say, that is wrong and I don't want to hold on to that anymore and I want to turn back to Jesus. And so we grow in the knowledge by experiencing that and we grow in the knowledge of his peace by knowing that we're free. And so, so, when we, so we can confess our sins and, we can, and we, can, we can talk to each other about our hurts and the ways that we feel like we've been sinned against because we're free. So that's how we grow in the knowledge of his grace and peace together. Um, chapter, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So God, in addition to this this justification, this righteousness that he's imputed to us, he has given us gifts and, and promises. Excuse me. Um, and we've already talked a little bit about it, but one of the, the primary gifts there is our, our union with Christ, that we are united with him. We are no longer separated from God, but we are actually with God. Um, another one of, those, one of those gifts is the provision of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in all who, who have turned from sin and turned to Jesus in faith. That, that if, if you are in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God himself is dwelling in you by his Holy Spirit. So that's why Peter can say we have all that we need for this life that he's inviting us into. We have it all. It's like I've never been on like a big camping trip, but I understand that when you go like backpacking through the, you know, wilderness or whatever, you need to like put everything in your backpack. You know, you've got to get your provisions. You know, I mean the Nordstrom family made a fortune on provisioning people going to the Yukon Gold Rush. You come and you buy all the stuff that you need and you put it on the mule or whatever and then you go off on your adventure. Um, we're being sent off 
uh, into this life with everything we need. We're not lacking anything because we have Jesus himself. We have his presence by the Holy Spirit living, indwelling in us. And we're going to find out that we have what it looks like to have when we have that. We've also escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of, ev- of sinful desire. And this isn't just, this isn't like we've escaped, like we've been removed from the world. You know, Jesus prayed, I think it's in John 17 where he prayed and he said, you know, Father, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but I'm asking that you would dwell with them in the world, that they would, that they would glorify you in the world. Um, that, our, that our escaping from this corruption isn't, isn't about being made, made perfect in every way right now, but it is, it is the, the recognition of the evil desire and is the, the transfer from this dead life that we had to this alive life that we have now in Jesus. It's a new heart um, throughout the Old Testament. and Jeremiah, I believe, and Ezekiel in particular, we, it, it talks about the new heart that God promises that, that, that he would come and he would take out the heart of stone and he would give his people a heart of flesh and he would cause them to walk in his ways. That's what this is talking about, that we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of evil, sinful desires. Okay, so the foundation of our faith and the promise of our faith, what I want, what I believe that we need to see here is that these things are, are not just passive things way back in the past somewhere, but these are active right now. These are graces that we receive right now in every moment. Um, and, and they work together to empower us to live in the pattern of Jesus now. And as we, as we grow, we, we continue to grow in that pattern of life. So let's go to verse 5. <clears throat> For this very reason, because of what Peter's just told us, For this very reason, because we have been united with Christ and we are indwelt by his spirit, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. And it feels like a snowball picking up here. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, I think one of the things throughout my life as I've grown in faith in Jesus that has been hard for me to understand is, well, if Jesus has done everything, now what? Do I just sit back and coast? You know, okay, all my sins are forgiven, so I just kind of just write it on out into the sunset, um, you know, how, how do I do something if he's already done everything for me? Um, and so Peter maybe just confuses us a little bit more because he says, because of that, because he's done everything, make every effort to supplement your faith. Maybe that's only confusing to me. <laughs> that was one of those dry ones. Thanks for laughing, Lenny. <laughs> make every effort to supplement your faith. And what, what Peter's talking about here is being diligent in our life. That our life in Jesus is not about just closing our eyes and going, all right, well, I'm headed home to Jesus. See you later, people. It is, it is a life of diligence. It is a life of seeking to grow more and more and more 
in, in, in the knowledge of him and the experience of him in our lives. And then he says to supplement. Now we know that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one would but boast. So how do I supplement it? What, what does that mean? Um, another way to understand this word is to adorn or to clothe or to furnish. This is, this is a way that, that we experience our faith is by this fruit. And I, I'm going to talk a little bit about this as fruit. Jesus himself talks about it in John 15, which Pastor Andrew preached on a couple weeks ago, about the fruit that, that if we are in him, that, that he who abides in him, that we will, we will produce fruit. We will bear much fruit. So this is, this is where we get into another um, theological word called sanctification. And sanctification means to be set apart. It has something to be set apart for its, its right purpose. To be set apart um, for the right use. Okay, And so when, we, when the Bible tells us that we have been sanctified by Jesus, by, by faith in Jesus, it means that we have been set apart for the purpose that we were created for. We have been set apart for God's own purposes. And there's two parts to sanctification. The first part, and I don't know that it's necessarily linear, but one part is dying to our sin. And if you read like the old-timey theologians, that's called mortification, which my mom used to say, I'm mortified. I never knew what that meant. Um, Mortification, putting to death, putting to death your sin. And then vivification, which always makes me think of Ethel from the I Love Lucy show. But again, just me. Because <laughs> the actress's name was Vivian. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but living to Christ. Dying to our sin and living to Christ. And so, so that's what this, this life of sanctification, of being set apart, it's not just a passive thing, it's an active thing. We are, we are invited to put our sin to death by the Spirit. And, and we are invited to, to live to Christ by the Spirit. We are, we are putting on, we are, we are clothing ourselves with the results, with the fruit of faith. And so, yes, it is God who produces the fruit in us. The tree doesn't produce, the, the branch doesn't produce fruit by itself. The, the, the fruit gets produced by the life that comes from the, from the root of the, of the plant, but the fruit that is produced, we are, we are to seek that. We are to make every effort to supplement our faith with that fruit. And so, he gives us seven things. Uh, seven, what he calls qualities. Um, and I just want to look at each one of those uh, briefly. I think it's important to understand. I mean, the way it's written here in the ESV, it says, supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And uh, I just want, it's not, a, it's not a linear thing. Like, okay, I've got virtue. All right, so let's move on to knowledge. Okay, I've got knowledge. Okay, now self-control. This is like a, you know, I don't know. Andrew always talks about Voltron, which nobody understands that one, I think. But, but this is a... All these things working together at once, uh, that, that, that we need to be growing in these things together at once. So the first one is virtue. Um, another, way to, another word to say, that, to, to say the same thing is goodness. Um, so supplement your faith with goodness, with virtue. Um, the only virtuous life is a life lived in response to the goodness of God. That's the only true virtuous life, is the life lived in response to the goodness of God. And if we know God, if we know his goodness, we wake up like, like Marin's grandma and we say, all right, God, what are we going to do today? We live 
expectantly because we know that our God is good. So we don't wake up with fear that we're not going to be good enough. We don't wake up with, 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 with shame that we did something wrong and, and God's going to get us back today. We wake up knowing that he's good. And so our whole life this has to be a response to that. Our whole life has to be lived out of worship to him for that, for his goodness. Because we see that everything we have, even the things that, you know, even the blood in our veins and, and, and our health and everything, like the fact that food tastes good. I tell my kids all this time, all the time, like, God didn't have to make maple syrup taste so good. But it does, and it shows us his goodness. So if we're living, we're supplementing our faith with virtue, everything we do in our life is going to flow out of praise to God. Second quality is knowledge. And we've already talked a little bit about knowledge. And the amazing thing about God is that you can know, you can never know everything about God. God is infinite. You can always know more. You can always know him more. You can always experience his, his grace and his goodness and his mercy and his love more and more and more and more and more. And the great thing is, is that we can never be filled up with that. We, we always can experience more. It's not like, okay, I've got enough God. I've got enough knowledge of God. I can move on. No. In the same way, I mean, Debbie and I have been married 18 years, and our marriage isn't perfect. Don't hear me saying that. But it is such an amazing thing to me that even after, well, almost 18 years, even after that time, we, I still want to know more about her. I still, we still talk, and I go, huh, never knew that. That's really cool. Um, I still experience who she is in different ways, and, and, and that's, a, that's a blessing of God's grace. And, and that's just a, a very, very, very limited picture of what we have with God, of the relationship that we have with God. Self-control. Okay, this sounds like, you know, something to be scared of, maybe. Like, don't do the stuff that you want to do. Um, but when we know that we are in Jesus, what do we want to do? We want to live like him. We want to follow him. He says, if anyone would, would come after me, he must, he, must, he must walk in my ways. He must follow in the way that I have walked. And all throughout the New Testament, we hear that again and again. That, that, that true faith is evidenced by the way that we live our lives in response to, to Jesus. So it's the fight against sin. It's, it's the fight against how we think, what we say, what we do, our attitudes, our motives. It's, it's taking captive those things and not, not allowing those things to be used for our own glory or, or for our own you know, combating somebody else. But everything... Self-control means that, that everything we think and say and do and our attitudes and our, our posture is, is one of knowing that we've received grace, that we've received mercy, and so we, we live in response to that. Steadfastness. This is also a word called perseverance. It's persevering. So if self-control is, is looking at what's going on inside me and, and, and not just walking in the path of sin, not just getting washed down the, the gully with, with the, the rainwater as, as the flash flood goes. Steadfastness is, is being firmly planted in the truth that we know, in the knowledge of Jesus. Steadfastness is, is th- seeing all of our life through the lens of the gospel and going, yeah, I know it would be easier to just kick back and, and do Netflix every night this week or whatever. And I'm not, I watch Netflix sometimes. 
I'm not saying that that makes you bad. But when I see everything through the lens of the gospel, it's, I'm going to go and, and, and extend mercy to others. I'm going to give grace to, to others. When my, when my child wakes up in the middle of the night and I just want my sleep because I have to work in the morning, I'm going to extend grace because of the grace that I've been extended. It doesn't mean it doesn't suck to stay up, get woken up at night. But it's an endurance of suffering. Um, and and there's, a, there's a woman named Elizabeth Elliot who some of you may know, but I remember her, hearing her say something um, that most of our suffering is just the small inconveniences that we have to endure for other people. And that doesn't mean that there aren't big things that we have to endure. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that everything's just little suffering. Um, but a lot of times we're like, oh, I'm not suffering. I'm not suffering. I'm just, you know, nothing's, I'm not hurt. I'm not sick. Nobody's dying. Nobody's being a jerk to me. But it's those small inconveniences of, I need to do this for this person. I don't really particularly feel like that's doing anything for me, but I do it because it's doing something for them. So it's, it's persevering and persisting in righteousness. Um, and so self-control and steadfastness are kind of two sides of the same coin. And these are all sides of one coin. And I know coins only have two sides, but there's seven things. <laughs> Godliness. This is a life of devotion and reverence to God. Um, this, is, this is obedience rooted in love. And I, I have a friend who, who, I won't say his name, but he kind of has those uh, expressions like Kramer on Seinfeld. Some of you older people remember that show. And, you know, I won't do it because I don't do it well. But, but he just, you say things and he just responds with this big, you know, kind of animated thing. And one day we were talking about obedience, and, and he, he was asking, well, how can I obey? I'm not, why would I obey? And I said, well, because God loves you. You obey because you know how much you've been loved. And you obey because you know that what God asks of you is good. And he did a Kramer thing, and he's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I, I've never thought of it that way. But, but we, we don't obey because God's going to whack us. We don't obey because, because we're going to get put in time out. We obey because we know we're loved. We obey because we have a good father. And when he, when he disciplines us, when he asks us to do things, when he invites us into his work, it's because he's good. And we may not know how that goodness is going to work out for us, but that's okay. It's okay to obey because God asks you to do something um, and I think, in fact, when we do that, we soon start to receive more and more of that grace. That this, this fruit that gets produced in our lives shows more and more of who he is. And I would say that again, just to reiterate. This is, about, this is true about us as individuals, justification, sanctification, fruit, all of that. But it's also true about us as a body, as a church, as a community. Um, that when I see devotion and 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 reverence and obedience rooted in love in someone in this church, it shows me that God is greater than the thing that I might think is better than that right now. When I see these things in you, it, it spurs me on in faith. And so we come to brotherly affection. And this is a type of love that is focused specifically at the people of God, the church. I went fast. 
This is, this is, this is the love that we have for each other. That we are, we are together in one body. And the Bible talks about this, that, that we are a body together. There's, that the body, like any body, there are many members of the body. There's hands and fingers and feet and toes and eyes and ears and noses and all that stuff. And none of them has its own program. It's just off, oh, I'm about me. I'm about hand stuff. Um, or whatever. None of the bo- parts of the body have their own program. Otherwise, you'd be running in five different directions and you'd get nowhere. But we all have the same program. And what is that program? And I hate the word program, by the way. I don't know why I said it. I don't know. In this context, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It's love. It's brotherly affection. It's, It's bearing each other's burdens. It's saying, I need help. It's saying, I'm weak. Pray for me. Walk with me. Encourage me. It's repentance. It's going, I, I just saw that I did something to you that hurt you. And I don't want to hurt you. Jesus doesn't hurt me. Jesus has forgiven me. Will you please forgive me? Jesus has forgiven you. Will you please forgive me? It's also forgiving. When we're sinned against, I might sin against you. And I may not know it. I may not recognize it as sin. And I may. But let's say that I, I, I sin against you and I don't recognize it as sin. As one body, come to me. Tell me how I've hurt you. Tell me the gospel. Tell me that Jesus is alive and that he forgives me and you will forgive me. We need this. We need to restore each other in love. If any one sins, and we're going to sin... We need to restore each other in love. When repentance and forgiveness happens, we restore each other in love because we've been loved by God. We were his enemies and he saved us. It's also things like sharing. Sharing your home, sharing your food, sharing your time. Sharing your gifts. Sharing... And encouraging and spurring each other on in love. Um, went to the March 4th fun run a few, week, a few Saturdays ago. And uh, uh, my, my goal that day was beat Dan Daly. No. <laughs> that was my goal. I mean, it was, it was all in fun. Um, I also was in the bathroom uh, washing my hands a minute ago. And I saw in the mirror and the light, I'm old. Got a lot of gray hair. Um, Dan is like 30 years younger than me or something. I don't know. So it was impossible that I was going to beat him, right? But we start running, you know, and we're running. And, and I am like, you know, three quarters of a mile in, and I'm just like, Ugh. and Dan's like, so, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, ah, oh, this is not going to end well for me. I've already failed before I've even gotten halfway through the race. Um, so Dan, you know, he was not being a jerk. He just kept running, and I just kept falling behind. It was like I was going the other direction. He's like, where'd Joe go? What a jerk. He left me. No, I just couldn't keep up. Um, so I'm, around, I'm rounding kind of towards the end of that race. Um, and I could see there was like the sign set up. And like I could see that I was getting close to the end. I could see down there. I could start to hear the band. And I was like, yes, I'm almost there. 
And so I'm just plodding my, my way. I'm like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And out of the corner of this eye, this person runs up next to me. And I don't know. I, girls are really fast runners. I have, <laughs> I have three girls that are like lightning fast runners. But there was something when I looked over, and it's this gal. And she puts out her hand, and she says, good job, man. Keep going. And it was just amazing, because at first, when I looked over, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get passed by this woman. And I don't know where, where and it came up in my, my heart or whatever, and I was like, and then she said, good job, keep going. And all of a sudden, I just like started running faster. And I, it wasn't anymore because I was trying to beat her. And she might think that still. She's like, well, I gave that guy five, and then he like sprinted away from me, and like, <laughs> I'm not going to get beat by this woman. She was probably running the 10K and was already on her second lap, you know, but... Um, <laughs> But there was something that really hit me in that moment that as God's people, as we, as we, as we live this life together, that, that it's not a competition between us. And when I got to the, end, the finish line, who was there but Dan cheering me on, you know? He wasn't gloating because he won the race. Because we're all running the same race together. We're all running this race together. Um, and it's a race that God has, has invited us to run. And it's a, God, it's a race that God has given us everything we need to run. And so we run it together and we encourage each other. We encourage each other to grow in these ways. We encourage each other to put sin to death and to, and to live to Jesus. And the final one on the list is love. Um, and this, is, this kind of encapsulates you know, the, the godliness and the brotherly affection you know, the godliness is that, is that life lived in, in response to God's love and in, in, in love to God. And, and the brotherly affection is, is that life lived in response to, to the love that we have in Christ as his body and, and loving each other. And then just over the top, you know, another layer of, of amazing goodness on top is love to God, love to the church, and love to the world. That, that our life is, is to be lived laid down for others, like Jesus laid his life down for us. And so that's why, you know, we can do things like buy diapers and, and bring them and give them to family works. And we're not getting any parades for that, and I hope we never do. But there's babies in, in Wallingford that, that need diapers on. You know, there's parents that have babies with a dirty diaper that don't, can't afford to buy diapers. So we... Yeah, let's, let's buy them some diapers. Let's give them some diapers. Let's make sure that they're taken care of because look at all the ways that God has cleaned us up and made us new. Um, and it's a little thing, but we, we do that and we pray. We pray that through that somehow people will see the gospel and we pray for opportunities to, to speak the truth about who God is in that. Okay, but we don't need to feel pressure. We don't have to feel pressure like there's this transaction. Like, okay, we bought you diapers. Now when are we going to tell you, you know, here's the gospel. We're telling them, here's the gospel, as we're giving them the diapers sometimes. And as we have opportunity, we, 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 we actually talk about, well, why do you guys do this? Well, because God's done so much for us. He's so good. And we just want to live in response to that. I'm going over my time. And we're only to the fourth, we're finally to the fourth point, the rewards of our faith. Uh, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Um, it's that increasing fruitfulness that shows the legitimacy, the authenticity, the, the reality of our faith. It shows that we actually have Jesus because we see that fruit growing. Um, we won't turn there, but, but John 15, if, if you have a minute this, this afternoon, read John 15. It's, it's such an encouraging passage um, that talks about God producing fruit in us. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Um, you know, the, the, the Christian life isn't just about not sinning. Um, and we've already talked a lot about that. But it's about knowing, experiencing who we are in Jesus um, and being completely satisfied with Jesus. This nearsighted person that he talks about is, is looking somewhere else, not, not focused on Jesus. Okay? And, and if, I mean, I don't think this is a, this is a situation where Peter's saying, you know, if you're, if you're lacking here, because we all, you know, he says, if these are yours and are increasing, there's an expectation that we're going to be growing and growing and growing in this our whole lives. And praise God for those saints. You know, some of us have grandparents that have been great examples of that. And when you see them at the end of their life and you look and you go, man, I know that there was a lot of hard stuff in there, but they love Jesus and they're going home to be with Jesus. And so when we see older saints like that, we should, we should rejoice in that. And I, I pray that God would bring us more grandpas and grandmas to be a part of this church. Maybe we'll just all grow into them. But, and I praise God that, he's, that he is doing that. But if you look and you see that there's a lack of these qualities, that, that they don't seem to exist um, in yourself, in our church, we should shudder. We should cry out to God, woe is me. Woe are we if, if we are lacking in these. And that is not a good day when you look at it and you go, I'm seeing a whole lot of other stuff and I'm missing Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, good, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. I'm not seeing a whole lot of that. If that happens, that is a day to, to mourn and put on sackcloth and ashes. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, the, so how, do we, how do we guard against that, rea- that possibility that we might look one day and not see these qualities? How do we guard against that? By being all the more diligent. Being all the more diligent to, to practice, to, to live, to, to, to work in these ways. To see these qualities grow in us. For in this way... Will be richly, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I just want to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 real quick because I think Paul says the same thing but in a different way. Um, I just want you to hear this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And then Paul kind of does one of those question mark, exclamation mark things. Who is sufficient for these things? 
We're the aroma of Christ? Like, I mean, I made some bacon this morning. And there was, there was this aroma that, you know, I went out of the house and I came back in and I was hit by bacon. And I've got a cold or something. And I still smelled it. And it was like, mmm, that smells good. <laughs> and I'm not calling us bacon. That was a really bad one to, to, to use. But these qualities that we've just talked about are kind of the, the profile of the aroma of Christ in the world. Um, a better example, this one just came to me. I met a friend for lunch in Fremont the other day, and I was walking back to my car, and I didn't realize when I parked that I parked right across the street from 3 Chocolate. And so I'm walking back to my car, and there's like this window with like a little grated thing, and as I'm walking out, like this hand of aroma grabs my nose. <laughs> Chocolate! I couldn't get away from it. It was so amazing. And I went in and bought some chocolate. <laughs> and that's, that's what God is doing in the world through his people. As he's spreading that aroma. He's inviting people into that goodness because we live in a world that is broken. And we live in a world where it's really easy to miss that God is good. It's really easy to just write it off and say, I don't know. Too big of a question for me to answer. But when you experience God's love, when you experience God's grace, when you experience his mercy, when you see somebody else experiencing it, it it shows you that it's true. It shows you that God is here. God is present. God is at work. God is doing things with us, without us, and in spite of us. But he is here. He is ever present with us. And he is even more present in his people because he dwells in us. So it's not that if we do good enough, we'll, we'll someday get to that kingdom. It's that Jesus is so good that he's leading us. He's leading the band. He's marching us into the kingdom. It's a triumphal procession. There's singing and rejoicing. It's not a life where we live being afraid. It's not a life where we, where we live uh, being ashamed. It's not a life where we hide from each other. It's not a life where we hide from God. It's a life where we come to him and we say, look at how good God is. Look at how much he's done for us. Look at what he's doing. We need this. We need to remember this every moment. And we can live in response with that other-centered life that Jesus shows us, that the reality of, of God in Jesus is, is that our life is to be other-centered. It's to be laying our lives down so that others would know him. And as we do that, it's this pleasing aroma that, that, that lifts up to God in worship. That's who we are. That's the result of our faith. I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that with me. Let's pray. Oh God, you're so good. We are so weak. We are so unworthy, but you have chosen us and called us. You've made us your friends. You've adopted us into your family. You've given us life in you, Jesus. We were dead. We had nothing. We had no hope. And now we have hope. We have received it. We obtain it. We have grace. We can, we can touch it. We can feel it. We can experience it, Lord. And I just pray that as a church we would be aware of that in every moment. Lord, please take away any doubt, 
any fear, any shame that we're not good enough. Because we know we're not, but you are so good. Just let us live in response to that, Lord. We want you to do with us what you desire. Our lives belong to you. We've been purchased by your blood. You've given us all that we have and all that we need. So, Lord, I just pray for Anchor Church, Lord, for for this people, for this family, that we would always, always remember that you are our Father. Together, we are, we are, we are brothers and sisters in your family, and we can love each other. We can forgive each other. We can confess to each other. We can rejoice together because you're leading us in triumphal procession. Jesus, we ask all these things for your glory. Thank you for giving us joy in you. That's good in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you guys.